This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Mintz. Bail is refused. You're out of order! If it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do. I do. Nothing further from this court. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed. Welcome back to The Wigs. I'm your host, Jim Minns. Now, this week, we're bringing you a very special episode. It's the inaugural speech of the Honourable Stephen Lawrence, MLC. Elected at the recent New South Wales state election to the Upper House or Legislative Council, if you prefer, Stephen was the first of all newly elected members of the Upper House to make an inaugural speech. Now, until such time as they make their first speech, new members cannot speak on any business of the House. Now, ever since then, Stephen has acquired his newfound freedom. He's been talking in the House regularly on a range of matters, from Kathleen Folbig to the Israel and Palestine situation to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island of Oyster Parliament, the ACT inquiry into the criminal justice system, crime in Western New South Wales, and a range of other topical New South Wales political issues. The Legislative Council was packed for this occasion of Stephen's inaugural speech, with visitors from far and wide, including his very proud parents, siblings and their families, his partner and his son, as well as many other friends from Dubbo and from the far west, friends including Matthew Batsua, former member of the Nauru Parliament and former Foreign Affairs and Justice Minister for Nauru, and Lucy Dubuido, who is the widow of Sprint Dubuido, a former president of Nauru. Thank you, Mr. President, and congratulations on your uneventful ascension to high office. (laughs) This historic chamber is tonight full of people who have been part of my journey here. I am humbled by their presence. To honour the faith they and others have in me, I need to be my best self in how I further the public interest in this place. This is Aboriginal land, and one of our challenges in this place is to give meaning to that in modern Australia. I want to thank and acknowledge the Aboriginal community in the Dubbo region for their support of me in employment, in elections, learning, inspiration and friendship and acknowledge all the Aboriginal people here, including Frank Doolan, a constant source of support and advice since the late great Howe Wooten introduced us all those years ago in Dubbo at a Palestinian human rights event. I support a voice to parliament and I support addressing intergenerational social inequity. For example, I support the state government finally taking the Land Rights Act seriously and providing the resources and decisions to allow it to operate as intended. I also support my party in pre-selecting more Aboriginal candidates for high office. I'll be happy if I'm replaced by such a person, as I was as a councillor. As the grand events of recent days have impressed upon me, symbolism is important, but so too is the substantive. Something you learn quickly in the law my first career is the powerful influence of family, community and social background on the course of one's life. Sometimes as to create virtual inevitability, as much as we hate to admit it in an age of liberal choice. Like us all, I'm very much a product of my family, which on both sides has long roots in this country and in the labour cause. My mum's parents were Ted and Mary Bone. He, an active and staunch member of the Clavelli branch of the Labor Party, fought in the Middle East and the Pacific in long World War II. That's a beautiful sound. He loved the Labor Party. He loved the eastern suburbs roosters. Mary was born in Dubbo and grew up in a girl's home in Bathurst. 
after the early death of her own mother. My grandfather died in 1980, on the edge of my lived memory, his influence no less real for that. Mary had the dignity of being regarded by the state as a war widow, with all that entailed. She had a hard life in many ways, but you would never have heard that from her, a stoic and loving woman. My dad's parents were Trevor and Ella Lawrence. He was also a member of the Labor Party, a member of the Coogee branch, and a devotee and friend of H.V. Evert. He gave me a love of words and a schooling in labour history, as I grew up regaled with stories of labour heroes like Doc, Doc Evert and Ted Theodore, and the need for socialist policies to temple the, evers, the evils of the free market. He loved the South Sydney Rabbitohs, and that tradition has continued down the generations. I was proud to march with so many members of my family in 1999 to protest the putrid expulsion of our team from the rugby league competition. <laughs> my late auntie Ninga was dying of lung disease at the time, but even she marched and wouldn't have missed it for the world. She would love to have been here tonight more than anyone. My grandmother was a hairdresser and some of my earliest memories of her cutting my hair and occasionally my ears. <laughs> Family meals in Coogee in the old home on the hill under the Morton Bay Fig are some of my earliest and best memories. The influence of William Lawrence, my great-grandfather, was ever, ever present in family law, L-O-R-E. He had left home in England as a boy to be a sailor and was a ship's captain when he arrived in Sydney. He stayed in Sydney and became the General Secretary of the Merchant Service Guild of Australasia at its commencement in 1902, and served in that role until his death in 1953. Union leaders know how to last. <laughs> it's now known as the Australian Maritime Officers Union. It's affiliated with Unions New South Wales, and was the first trade union to be registered when the arbitration and conciliation legislation was passed in 1904. I will always be a supporter of the trade union movement because it represents the interests of the great mass of people. We are indeed stronger together. I would not be in Parliament without the support of great unions like the AWU, the HSU, the SDA, the RTBU, the USU, the TWU, the PTEU and the Posties, part of the CPEU. I thank their members and officials. I note the presence of Daniel Walton, the National Secretary of the AWU and the Vice President of the ACTU here tonight. I was born in 1975 in Griffith to Sue and Bill. My dad was 29 years old at the time and already the CEO of the Griffith Base Hospital, a testament to his work ethic and talent, part of a new generation of professional health administrators. After some years in Griffith and elsewhere, we ended up a family of five children, moving back to Sydney in 1984. My father went on to positions at the highest levels of health administration in the public system, and we were so proud when he was admitted as a member of the Order of Australia in 2007. My mum went back to teaching in the Catholic system once we were all at school. She ended her career an assistant principal at St Teresa's in Mascot. Mum worked very hard. I can picture her now at the dining room table, surrounded by papers, as we headed to bed on a school night. We lived for many years in the grounds of Prince Henry Hospital, Hospital at Little Bay, one of the great public teaching hospitals, 
and a community of family, staff and patients that would later cease to be. Free of organised activities to be home by sunset and trusted to take care of each other, we had a truly idyllic childhood. The entire hospital was our backyard, as were the golf courses, national parks, abandoned army tunnels and secluded beaches of that beautiful part of Sydney. So many of the hospital staff treated us like family. We socialised with their kids and always felt safe in the grounds. We fished, we rock climbed, we swam, we explored, we had long summers. We had the unconditional love of our parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. We got into all sorts of mischief. My first job, <laughs> my first job was in 1985. I've only got half an hour. My first job was in 1985, selling newspapers, lollies, cigarettes, and the occasional Playboy and Penthouse magazine in the hospital wards for the hospital shop. From 5.30am, trolley fully stocked, I would trundle up and down through the middle of those long hospital wards. Yes, a 10-year-old child really did walk through a public hospital selling cigarettes and soft porn <laughs> to staff and patients. <laughs> this was the 1980s. I won't comment on whether I smoked any of them. <laughs> the morning run started with Ward 1, which housed spinal and brain injury patients. I remember a young man named Jamie there. He had been viciously attacked in Long Bay Jail and spent a long time at Prince Henry. I knew something horribly unjust had happened. An HIV AIDS ward was opened at Prince Henry in 1986, a time of fear. And I distinctly remember the controversy about whether paper boys and girls should be allowed to enter that ward. My father came to the rescue and arrangements were made to allow us to service that ward. As I grew up in southeastern Sydney, HIV AIDS wasn't the only virus killing gay men. As much of wider society was on a journey to acceptance, gay men were being bashed and killed in toilets and parks, thrown off cliffs, the victims of an evil social virus. I remember the dark stories and rumours about such crimes that circulated among boys as I moved through high school. These events were later to be examined in a groundbreaking inquiry in this place. It's hard to believe how much has changed. Most of my schooling was undertaken in the state and systemic Catholic systems. Eight years all up at Mara schools, my last two years at St Joseph's College Hunters Hill, a special opportunity my parents gave me for which I am so grateful. My favourite teacher at Joey's was John Watkins later to be the Labor Deputy Premier of New South Wales, an amazing man and teacher. I vividly remember his teaching on the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, for the first time learning to think beyond what might be presented in the media. My mum insisted we attend Catholic Mass every week until we were old enough to make our own decisions. Many of the values I'll bring to my work in this place were formed in a Catholic family and I regard the church as a force for good in the world. These early influences led me to the largest and I would say greatest Australian political party and its thousands of branch members who work to elect candidates to public office to implement our vision of social democracy. I want to acknowledge those whose service to our party is measured in continuous decades, not years, and all the branch members in the Dubbo region and country New South Wales who have been such support to me over my various campaigns. Many have travelled to be here tonight. I first handed out How to Votes for Laurie Brereton in the True Believers election of 1993. He jumped up on a table on election night and declared that Labor would bring home the bacon. 
Phil Priest and his wife Annette were the first branch members I met in Dubbo. Phil personifies the true believer. What a legend. My family has also been an incredible support for me in my campaigns. Parents, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers, their partners, nieces, nephews, I thank them all. I want to thank the head office of the New South Wales Labor Party and all its officials since my recent involvement began in 2014. I know our General Secretary Dom Offner is here. I want to acknowledge my Labor colleagues here, especially Courtney Hussos, a source of advice and a role model for me. Service for me here is a second career. My first career was an at times wild, almost 25 year journey in the law. I believed in social justice, but I embarked on a career in the law for vague reasons. I basically just, just wanted to stick up for people. The journey took me around the world and significantly shaped who I am and what I stand for, what I feel I need to do. I guess I needed a first career to work out exactly why I needed a second one. Much of my legal work was at the interesting point at which law and politics intersect. I worked as a specialist family violence and sexual assault prosecutor in the ACT as part of a whole of government project aimed at best practice in those areas. I saw how hard it is for victims of those crimes to speak. Then, war crimes trials in the Solomon Islands from 2004 as part of an international intervention only to find myself in April 2006 in the middle of an insurrection and then immersed in the trials that resulted from that. Friends from those crazy days are here tonight. Then advising and reforming Attorney General, the brilliant Simon Corbell, as part of his ministerial staff. A stint helping to set up a public defender system in Palestine. I crossed the checkpoint into Israel most weekends to wander around Jerusalem. My young Palestinian colleagues were so proud that I could visit that special place of theirs. They lived just kilometres away and could never visit, not ever, not once. Then the ALS in Western New South Wales for many years, appearing in trials, sentences, mental health hearings and coronial inquiries, some in involving deaths in custody. And perhaps most importantly, appearing in the High Court for Wilcannia man William Bugamy. Now the leading case on sentencing socially disadvantaged Aboriginal offenders, cited every day in courts across Australia. Part of a determined effort, some would say crusade, by the Aboriginal Legal Service and members of the Bugmi clan, including Chief Spokesperson Julie, to make our criminal punishment system confront its role as an ongoing source of the social, dis social disadvantage of Aboriginal people. Then, a stint living in a shipping container in war-torn Afghanistan, under occasional indirect fire, working with brave, generous Afghan lawyers who faced death from the same organisation whose members they defended in a special court. I was safe behind the wire. They lived in their communities and travelled daily to the base, sometimes with food and presents for me. Now, of course, all is lost. Those lawyers have fled as refugees or live under Taliban rule. Then at the private bar, acting for the former president of Nauru, Sprint Abuido, a part of the Nauru 19, which included Matthew Batsua here tonight. Suspended from parliament, let down by the courts and outrageously charged with riot, blatant state persecution that cost Sprint his life. His widow, my friend Lucy, is here tonight. She and her kids are now settled in country New South Wales, 
in a place Sprint loved and found peace. Sprint Matthew and Squire Jeremiah are a fine example of service as a member of parliament. They gave up their seats on a point of paramount principle. A last minute urgent appeal on the computer screen AVO link from Dubbo to legalise a mass protest at Town Hall on behalf of the Black Lives Matter movement at the height of the COVID lockdowns. As the decision was announced over the loudspeaker by the family of David Dungate, police quickly moved away and responded to the decision of the court. Or so I later heard, I was on my roof in Dubbo with Felicity Graham having a beer, still half dressed in my pajamas. So please don't tell the Chief Justice that I was dressed as a newsreader. <laughs> Appearing in the federal courts for some of the world's most persecuted people, Rohingya, Tamils, Hazaras, trans and gay people from countries where such people are still killed and locked up, Iraqis, Iranians, Awazi Arabs. These are the people who seek our refuge. Speaking of Hazara people, my friend and former client Reza is here tonight. He is finally on that precious path to Australian citizenship and family reunion that Anthony Albanese has provided. Labor governments make a difference. I've worked with a wide range of distinguished barristers and solicitors in such matters. I note the presence here of fine lawyers I've appeared with in the High Court on such cases. Shane Prince SC, Jamie Clements, Christian Hearn, and maybe others I've missed. And I can't fail to mention being part of the Wigs podcast <laughs> with Jim, Jim Felicity and Emmanuel for three days in June 2020, the top rating podcast in the country. <laughs> Excuse the plug. It's not commercial, there's no ads. My journey in the law has led me to conclude that we humans are the same everywhere. When we're in trouble, we all want a good lawyer. <laughs> my work at the Aboriginal Legal Service was a turning point in my life. It's a big reason I'm here. Every day provided an opportunity to be the lawyer I went to law school to be. Systemic advocacy is a big part of the work of the ALS movement. And let me give you just one example. I arrived in Dubbo in 2010. At that time, young Aboriginal people were systematically being sentenced to long terms of imprisonment for offences like driving while disqualified, where no issue of road safety was posed, sometimes even for a first or second offence. Lives were being destroyed in part by idiosyncratic approaches in the summary jurisdiction that systems failed to correct. We commissioned a volunteer to review the file of every person Dubbo ALS had represented on driving offences for the previous five years. Armed with the facts, we launched a controversial national media expose. Some thought we went a bit far. In telling the magistracy, it was falling into, quote, errant, idiosyncratic and overly harsh sentencing patterns. That it was, quote, completely out of kilter with community expectations, end quote. And that this state of affairs was, quote, harsh, unfair and nothing short of a national disgrace, end quote. Harsh comment or not, that's what the ALS exists to do. Little did we know this Parliament of New South Wales would ultimately agree with us. The campaign started a national focus in 2012-13 on the way our courts were dealing with vulnerable offenders in Western New South Wales and how this impacts the community more broadly. Ultimately, a parliamentary inquiry recommended substantially reducing the maximum penalty for drive disqualified and the Parliament did so a rare, rare event in New South Wales where maximum penalties normally only go in the other direction. 
The Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research last year reported the dramatic reduction in jail time being served. The driver licensing reforms accompanying this were even more important. A fine example of our system working in a bipartisan way in response to real social issues. I note it was John Barillaro who chaired that committee. It is just one example of the good work the ALS movement does across Australia. Work that mainstream legal aid will never do, even with their vastly greater resources. We need activist lawyers at the coalface of the justice system in high volume legal practices where they find the cases, stories, statistics, issues and patterns that can generate real change. The inequitable funding of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander legal services in Australia must end. The time has come for state and federal Labor governments to conclude a historic long-term <coughs> agreement under which they both play a role to bring ALS to parity client for client with state legal aid. I'm talking about parity in staffing, officers, wages and infrastructure. The state funds the justice system. It must fund the organisation who represents most of the members of the group who are the most imprisoned. Community and governments must work together to close the incarceration gap. Not all of my legal work was political, interesting, high profile or far from home. The bulk of my work has been prosecution and criminal defence work in Australia that no one will ever know of, except those personally involved in the cases. What a privilege and a burden to be the person to whom someone comes at a low point when they need a lawyer. I've acted for innocent people, for guilty people, and to people challenging the harshest acts of the state, including the stripping of their citizenship and their exile from Australia. Every such person deserves a lawyer, and every person, including victims of crime, deserve the according of human dignity, especially when it's been taken away from them. At every step of my legal journey, I've been accompanied by special people who practice law because it reflects their values, and perhaps a bit of oppositional defiance disorder. A few here feeling a bit triggered. In it they find a cause worth burning the midnight oil for, or the 4am oil. Many are here tonight. The bridge for me between the law and this place was a term in local government. My time there was short, short but eventful. I'm proud of the achievements of the council on which I served and came to lead in 2021. It did include a mire of controversy, one that Dubbo needed and is much better for having endured. My mate John Ryan and I instigated it for the right reasons. I want to thank my local member Dougal Saunders for his stance in 2021 and his support and cooperation when I was mayor. As a council, we often took an unorthodox path, especially for a regional council. We spent money on a highly successful campaign for a drug rehab centre, a drug court and a youth curry court. The need for a rehab centre was identified by former Dubbo Magistrate Andrew Eckhold, a compassionate and fair beak unafraid to speak out from the bench. We enacted an Aboriginal employment strategy, started the process for a reconciliation action plan. We resolved and received funding to construct a large number of important social and tourism infrastructure projects so crucial for local, social and economic development. They included a very significant Aboriginal cultural centre that will house scores of precious scar trees to be brought home from the basement of a museum off country. The old Dubbo Jail Plaza, 
which will include the biggest public art piece in inland Australia. Additional money on disability access projects across the region, a new Wellington cave centre and pool. And we passed the Aboriginal electoral enrolment and engagement strategy. We focused our staff on closing the gap in enrolment and voting and achieving a diverse range of candidates for the elected body. The council that followed actually looks like its community, more so than ever before. It includes a Bangladeshi Australian, Councillor Shibley Chowdhury, a National Party member, I as a Labor Mayor was happy to endorse in a truly crazy election campaign. I note it was a two council award. And a record to Aboriginal people, local traditional owners, Councillors Pam Wells and Lewis Burns. Shibley is here tonight, I believe. Shibley is my friend. Of course, I arrive here with a variety of, pers of perspectives to contribute. Years of talking to my father about his work and growing up as part of the community within a public hospital has instilled in me early a passion for our public health system. We need to be keenly aware of the way that often illegitimate private interests operate to reduce the effectiveness and efficiency of our public hospitals and our wider public health systems. The same can almost be said for education. We don't have the balance right in funding too much is going to well-off private schools and too little to our state schools. The state of the health and education systems is of particular importance in the regions. Shortages are more acute and there are less services overall. The concerns of Western New South Wales are my concerns and I'll be an advocate to the best of my ability. Health, education, as well as infrastructure, transport, law and order and economic development are all pressing issues. So too are protection of the natural environment, water security and climate change. Fraught social issues invariably come before parliaments. In recent times, society is often divided over questions of identity, gender, religious freedom <coughs> and sexuality. It is an era of heavy overt corporate political involvement in many of these issues of our times. But not, I note, many of the real economic ones impacting the mass of people. I do not intend to be constrained by the dominant ideas. We can never forget the evils of the past, but we must always try and see truth, facts and reality as they are. The grievances, historical or otherwise, invoked by some do not justify all responses. We need in public policy to always be mindful of unintended consequences, especially those impacting vulnerable groups like religious minorities and women. A seat in what, Greg, in what Greg Donnelly calls the Chamber of Second Thoughts is a vantage point. These types of issues will occupy my time in proportion to their importance, not their importance on social media. The Labor movement must never lose its focus on the substantive economic realities that impact on the day-to-day -day lives of the majority of citizens. I'm a strong believer in human rights as a framework that allows citizens to apply to an independent court to adjudicate alleged breaches of rights guaranteed by international agreement. In that vein, it is time in my view to consider carefully what criminal offences and civil wrongs that make unlawful merely offensive words and actions have a continued place in the statute book. We are a free and democratic society and such laws invariably operate in a highly arbitrary way. I've seen that occur. We need to comprehensively review the regulation of illicit drugs, to focus the criminal law on real antisocial conduct, 
and help people to live safe and fulfilling lives. That path might be long and stepped. All reforms of the criminal law must have community safety and confidence at their heart. But we need to carefully examine and reconceptualise what we mean by protection of the community. Many of our old assumptions are false and make the community less safe. Our criminal justice system does, however, has met, have many strengths. The fair trial, both civil and criminal, and the independent legal profession are precious. They all exist in New South Wales and they are markers of civilisation. The fair trial must be safeguarded, especially from those who come with, quote, saintly intentions and high-minded arguments, end quote, to quote my friend Stephen Boland. I will proudly take a conservative approach to proposals that encroach on the right to a fair trial. The local court needs more resources and its professionalisation must continue. An independent prosecutor is a human right and work is needed to improve the prosecution services in the summary jurisdiction where the majority of matters are prosecuted, including the majority of family violence matters. Lawyers acting under independent supervision, fully complying with their obligations as ministers of justice, would ideally appear in all criminal cases. I will be a strong advocate for true justice reinvestment. The theory that if you invest in social services, you can ultimately reduce spending on prisons and create a virtuous cycle of reinvestment that produces a safer, happier and healthier society. A breaking the cycle fund as proposed by the Justice Reform Initiative, would be a good way to find the right policies. Our criminal law needs to avoid operating as an instrument of oppression and marginalisation with respect to, to, to certain communities. We are not meaningfully addressing the over-incarceration of Aboriginal people. Our institutions are strong because they outlast and transcend any individual and any one lifespan. The ship of state that is government is slow moving. Long-term policy and planning is key. I respect this all the more, having seen firsthand how societies can unravel, how hard life is for so many in our global community, even at the best of times. I respect the central role of the permanent public service who will implement Labor's ambitious election agenda in this term of parliament. I wanna thank the Premier, Chris Minns, to steal some words from Michael Pilbrow, like Bob Hawke, Chris is both ordinary but extraordinary. He is setting a sterling example of skillful and positive leadership. And finally, to all the people assembled here, especially all my family and friends, I thank you. As Jeff Fennick used to say, I love you all. <laughs> Lastly, I wish to thank my partner, a very private guy, and our beautiful, cheeky, happy, healthy son. A son who was a gift, a gift more precious than anything, a little boy who has transformed our lives for the better. I'm keenly aware that when this eight year term ends, he will be a young man of almost 18. He will definitely be a heartbreaker by then. And I dedicate this speech to him. Thank you, Mr. President. <clears throat> for listening please like the wigs on facebook at the wigs podcast don't forget to rate and review on itunes this podcast was brought to you by minimal productions produced by jim mintz